Jesus is teaching here, and he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, that's the prerequisite, he who believes in me, Jesus is saying, whoever believes I am who the gospel says I am, then the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Now, John 14 belongs to a collection of chapters that's known in theology as the farewell discourse. It was Jesus taking his disciples aside saying, listen, I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm about to go back to the Father. And so I want to give you some information that you can use in my absence to continue the work of my ministry in the earth while I'm gone. In this particular chapter, he wants them to know the works will continue. And I want to announce that to you. The works of Jesus were always intended to continue, and they have. There have been people all over the world since the beginning of the church age receiving miracles and being healed. If you're backed up into a corner and you have no options left and you're in need of a miracle, I know a God who has been performing miracles in the earth for the last 2,000 years. Everybody say, the miracles have continued. The ministry has continued. So he says, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do. Now, what he was saying was the word greater there in the Greek is megas, and it means more. It means quantity, not quality. He's saying, because I'm going to the Father, my three-year ministry is over. Even though I'm going away, my works, my works of healing, my works of preaching the kingdom, my works of miracles, my works of blessing, they're going to continue in the earth through you. And then he says in verse 13 how they're going to continue. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if you look back at verse 13, you'll notice that it starts with an and. And is a conjunction joining what's been said to what's about to be said. So to put it all together, basically, Jesus is giving the disciples his power of attorney. When you give someone your power of attorney, you authorize them to do business in your name, even if you're absent. You give them the legal power and authority to conduct business as if they were you. So here, Jesus isn't talking to the disciples about prayer. He's talking to them about the authority he's giving them to use in the earth to continue his ministry in his absence. So number one, the name of Jesus is the authority of the New Testament church. The name of Jesus in faith is the power of the New Testament church to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. Now, the disciples did not have power or authority of their own nature, but Jesus did. So he began to teach them whatever you do as the church Whatever you do in this new institution that I'm releasing called the body of Christ in the earth, the church, he said, you've got to use my name 
because my name is the power and the authority that will cause heaven to back up what you say. It will cause heaven to back up what you do. You can't heal, but heaven can. So if you use the name, heaven's power to heal will flow through and the church will be able to have miracles of healing. You can't bless, but heaven can. If you use my name, heaven will endorse what you're doing and the blessing that only comes from God the creator will come upon you when you use the name. Now he's not talking about prayer. I want to say that again. He's talking about approaching conflict. Approaching sickness, approaching blockades in your life, and when you have run into them, when you approach them, using the authority of the name of Jesus to pull it down. Because if it has a name in the earth, every major sickness has a name. Every major type of need and poverty and lack has a name. But if it has a name in the earth, I read to you in the book of Philippians that every knee will bow its Every knee will bow itself to the authority and the lordship of the name of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what happened in our text in the book of Acts chapter 3. Peter said it was Jesus' name through faith in his name that made this man completely well. When they all came running up to Peter after that man got healed, they said, what in the world happened? Peter said, why are you looking at us? as though it was something within us that brought the healing and brought this miracle. It wasn't anything about us. It was that we have faith in the name of Jesus. And the man had faith in the name of Jesus. It was Jesus' name through faith in his name that released the miracle. <clears throat> that means that, and I don't, I don't know who it was, it, it means there's a mystery character in this story. Because faith comes by hearing. The word of God preached. You can't have faith unless you've heard about what the word of God is saying. So that means when Peter was walking by and this lame man looked up at them wanting some money, he said, I don't have my pocketbook on me, but what I do have, I do have something and I'll give it to you. And he looked at him and he said, in the name of Jesus. Well, when he said in the name of Jesus, Peter's got faith in the name, but the man also had faith in the name. That means that at some point while he was sitting at that beautiful gate all of these years, he had heard about all the people that Jesus healed. Somebody ran by and told him their testimony about how Jesus was healing lame people and blind people and raising the dead and healing the sick and multiplying fish and bread. Somebody shared a testimony and it got caught in the man's spirit. And he thought, if I could just come into contact with Jesus, that same Jesus would heal me. But he never met Jesus while Jesus was ministering the, in the earth. Now Jesus has ascended into heaven, and here come Peter and John, and they look at the man, and they say, in the name of Jesus, when they said Jesus, something in the man, the faith that had been built from years of hearing about what Jesus was able to do, something in the man's faith extended toward it. So you got two things happening. You got somebody that's an anointed apostle looking at a man saying, in the name of Jesus with faith. And then you got a man sitting down that's heard the power of the name and he responds with faith. And when the two faiths meet in the middle, a miracle explodes in his life. So it's, now there are people that say, in the name of Jesus this, in the name of Jesus that. You can say it all day long until you're blue in the face. It's not just about saying it. He said, through his name, 
through faith in his name. Now, as your faith is built concerning the power that the name of Jesus itself releases, and then you run into a minister that says, I speak blessing, healing, and empowerment and strength over your life in the name of Jesus, and the preacher's faith meets your faith, there can be an explosive release of the supernatural power of the kingdom of God over your head. And things that have been bound up that wouldn't move in your life, all of a sudden have to move. The man had been lame since he was born. He grew up with knees and ankles and feet that did not work. But but when the faith collided in the name of Jesus, everything that wasn't moving had to start moving immediately. I don't know who this is for, but everything that's not been moving in your life, I don't know where you are. I said everything that's not been moving in your life will start moving if you have faith in the name of Jesus. Give him a hand clap of praise if you receive it. Now, I want you to notice carefully, Peter wasn't praying. He didn't walk by the man, see the man, and kneel down and lay hands on him and say, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would release healing to this man. Now, it's subtle, but he didn't do that. He doesn't pray. He looks at the affliction at the malady, at the sickness. He looks at the disease because he knows God did not create the man this way. Disease is not from God. Things not working right in your body, that's not from God. That's not how mankind was created. So he realizes that this sickness has imposed itself upon the creation of God and that the kingdom of heaven is against it. So he decides to make an announcement to the power of the sickness. He speaks directly to it. And he says, I've got a higher power, kingdom rule, authorized in the name of Jesus. So I'm speaking to the sickness. I'm not praying. I'm not talking to God about it. I'm not asking God if it's possible. I'm speaking to the affliction. And I'm saying affliction in the feet and the knees and the ankle bones be healed and removed in the name of Jesus. And then he reaches out his hand. He reaches out his hand in agreement. Right? Jesus said to the disciples, if two of you, two of you believers, don't have to be a whole crowd, just two of you believers. He said, if you will touch and agree on earth touching anything can you see first their faith agreed then their hands agreed and the transfer of power removed the malady and the man jumped up and he went walking and leaping and praising God oh I feel that that's the law of progress the longer you stay connected to Jesus, the more your faith builds in his name. You'll begin to walk in stuff you've never walked in before. And then leap in stuff that you never thought about before. And then praising God on a level that you've never praised before. I've been noticing something in this church over the last few weeks. The level of praise is rising. Because you're beginning to understand some things about the power of what happens when you release your praise, your sound, your voice, your shout unto God. And it's moving something, it's shifting something, it's pulling something, it's pushing. Yeah. 
So that's the, that's the authority in the name. Now, again, the name has all power and all authority in and of itself. But you access that power and authority of Jesus' name by having faith in it. Elbow your neighbor and say, have faith in the name. Number two, let's look at the power of the name of Jesus in prayer. Go to John chapter 16. 23. Again, we're in the farewell discourse. Jesus is equipping his followers. Here's what you do when I'm gone. And he says, in that day, what day is he talking about? When he's gone. He said, in that day, you will ask me nothing. The reason why they weren't going to ask him nothing is he was leaving. In that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Why didn't they ask anything in his name? Because he was with them. It's right over there by the trees. You know, just go ask him. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. But ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. These verses reveal a marvelous truth that a lot of people don't understand or they misunderstand. Jesus never directed the disciples to pray to him. Did you know that? He never told the disciples to pray to him. He always told the disciples to pray to God the Father. Remember the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer? He, when he said, I'm going to teach you to pray. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. So we pray to the Father. But we pray through the Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever you ask the Father, that's to the Father. In my name, that's through the Son. What he was doing was he was giving them a direct line of communication from the earth to heaven if they used his name. Let me, that's only 22 after, I can take a rabbit trail. You remember Daniel when he was in that lion's den? And he had been fasting and praying for 21 days, asking God the Father for deliverance. But... The scripture reveals an angel came to him. They said, listen, we heard you the first day you prayed. Now remember, this is Old Testament. This is before Jesus. He said, we heard you the first day you prayed. But we encountered warfare in the heavens from the demonic principalities and powers. And your answer was delayed and held up because of the warfare. We finally got through it, broke through it, and now we've come. We're 21 days late, but now we've come. This reveals to us God hears every person. God hears every word. I mean, even people that aren't saved, God hears what they have to say. But there is warfare and turbulence in the heavens. So Jesus gives the disciples a direct line. You're like one of those red phones in those offices, a direct line. He gives them a way to get a prayer through directly without any demonic hindrance or turbulence. He said, pray to the Father, but pray in my name. Now, why does a prayer 
that is sealed in the name of Jesus get directly through. When other prayers that are not sealed in the name of Jesus don't. Because there is a name that makes everything in heaven, everything in earth, everything under the earth, every angel, every human, every demon. There's a name that makes them bow. In the spirit world, the scripture says that demons tremble and shake at the sound, the very sound of the name of Jesus spoken in faith. So he said, when you pray, I want you to use my name. Number one, it'll get the prayer directly through. And number two, it reminds the Father and it reminds all of the spirit world that you are saved, you belong to me, you're in my forgiveness, in my righteousness, in my love, bought with my blood, and it attaches my seal of approval to the thing you're asking for. Somebody say, in the name of Jesus. So after I've prayed and I've made all of my petitions, I gather all those things up in my spirit, in my heart, and I offer them to heaven in the name of Jesus. And it's not just some colloquial thing I say. It's said with faith, understanding what's happening when I use it. See, just using it vainly, the scripture says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. But when you use it, understanding what it is and what you're doing with it, real spiritual power charges your life. He said, look at, uh, look at verse 26. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. In other words, I ain't going to ask him for you. Tell him what you want. Ask him for what you want. Okay. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to pray to the Father for you. You ask in my name, verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. How many people, you're not perfect, you got a lot of issues, but you love Jesus. All right, all right, all right. So you never have to wonder if God will hear and answer your prayer because you love Jesus. And the Father in heaven loves you because you love Jesus and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I leave the world to go to the Father. That's the power of the name in prayer. When you're praying for something specific and and you, sometimes, you know, I've noticed this. Sometimes you have to carry things in prayer. Not just pray at one time and forget about it. When you're really trying to move something. A consistent approach in prayer. Using the name of Jesus and your faith in the name of Jesus. And you can receive the breakthrough power of God in your life. But it always has to be something that's a treasured thing. A hallowed thing. A beautiful thing. Notice all the times Jesus takes them back to belief. Okay? Back to belief. My father loves you because you've loved me and you believe that I came into the world. Jesus said, whoever believes 
whatever he asks in my name, the Father will do. That's why you come to church. That's why you come to hear messages like this. To have your faith built by the preaching of the word so you can take that faith into your everyday life and use it to achieve results. I'm tired of people that all they want out of their faith experience is to just come to church and shout. I want to see some people that say, I'm going to take what I get in church. I'm going to take the faith that's built in here, and I'm going to go out there, and my unsaved family members are coming into the kingdom. Every single thing that's afflicting me and binding me is going to be broken. Everything in my community, everything in my household, everything in my job is going to be affected by the power of what I believe in my faith. I'm going to change things around me. Everybody connected to me is going to be affected because of what I have in my faith. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let our faith be strong, let our confidence be strong, let miracles abound around us and among us, in the name of Jesus. When you say it, say it in faith. When you say it, say it in reverence. When you say it, understand the weight of power you wield in the heavens when you call on God's name in faith. Look at somebody say, I believe that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. That neighbor wasn't convinced. Look at somebody else say, I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Now give him praise if you believe it. First John, chapter 5, verse 7. Now, for those of you that are seasoned in this, just forgive me. We have a, a lot of people coming in through the church. Some are new, some don't know. So we're going to get into some minorly heavy doctrinal stuff. But you need to know it. First John, chapter 5, verse 7. Scripture says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. Now, why are they bearing witness? He's talking about a court case. And on the judgment day, there will be witnesses called concerning your salvation. Whether you saved or not. Whether you're going to heaven or whether you are going to hell. There's witnesses called to the case by God the judge. And there's three that bear witness in heaven concerning your salvation. They are the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. There's three more witnesses. Verse 8, there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. These are the witnesses that testify. From the earth, because of what you did, what you experienced on the earth concerning the things of God, they testified to heaven. Hey, that one's one of ours. That one's saved. And they're the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because no man comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. You didn't just decide to walk into the kingdom of God. You were drawn. You didn't find God. Bishop tells us all the time, you didn't find him, he wasn't lost. He found you. You were drawn 
No man comes to the Father unless he's drawn. That's the Holy Spirit. Second witness on earth is the water. This speaks of baptism. Baptism testifies that we have been buried with Christ Jesus. Buried into his death. Why is this important? Because the only way you can commit a sin against the holiness and righteous law of God, the only way you can commit a sin, you have to either do it in your body or in your mind. Okay, you can't sin with your spirit. You have to either sin, you know, all types of sexual sin, perversion, those type of things. You need a body to do that. Things like theft and violence and, and those kind of things. You need a body to do that. So you can either sin in your body or things like pride, selfishness, holding a grudge, unforgiveness. Those are things you, you do on the inside in your soul. So you can only sin in either your body or your soul. But... The sins you commit on earth in your body and soul are charged to the account of your spirit. So when your spirit is in heaven, your spirit has to pay the penalty for the sins committed in the body and the soul. Unless your spirit has been baptized, submerged down into, plunged down into, buried down into the body of one who's already suffered and paid the penalty of sin, the body of Jesus Christ. That's why the scripture calls believers the body of Christ. We are saved, not because we are so good, holy, pious, and pure. We are saved because the Holy Spirit has baptized our human spirits, the one that has to pay at the end. The Holy Spirit has baptized us down into the body of the one that was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. So baptism testifies from the earth to heaven. No, they're saved. They're one of ours because they've been baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. The Spirit testifies, the water testifies, and the blood testifies. Jesus' blood was the price that was paid. For your redemption. It's what allows a righteous God. To allow guilty people. To enter into his righteousness. It's not your actions. Or how good you are. Or a long list of good behaviors. It's that you had faith. That Jesus died on the cross. To pay the penalty. And the price. And the judgment. For your sin. And these things testify from the earth. That we're saved. So water baptism. In the name of Jesus. Everybody listening, please. Water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is one of the three testimonies you need the earth to make that you are saved. Why is this important? Because no one in the Bible, you can search it cover to cover. And I'm not grandstanding here. It's really important truth that you need to know. No one in the Bible was ever baptized in the names Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not a legitimate baptism. Now, I'll get to that scripture in a minute and explain it. But it's very important that the name of Jesus be spoken over you while you're standing in the water. It's a spiritual law. There's something spiritual that takes place when you're standing in the waters of baptism 
And the person baptizing you says, my brother, my sister, today, upon the pronouncement of your faith in Jesus Christ, today I baptize you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are titles. They're not names. What is the power of baptism anyway? Is it the water? No. Is it the preacher? No. The power is in the name of the one that you're being baptized into. If we're being baptized into the body of Christ, why would we leave his name out of the baptism? Now this started in ancient Catholicism thousands of years ago and it spread through many of the major denominations of the church. Many people either were baptized when they were, when they were little and don't even have faith in it because they weren't conscious of it when it happened. Or they were baptized in the titles of God and the name of God was left out of it. And I believe it was a brilliant scheme of the enemy to seduce billions of people worldwide over thousands of years to be a faithful person who believes the word, who loves God, but is lacking something because they were not baptized in the name of Jesus. The blood that Jesus shed at Calvary covers your sins, okay? I'm not saying if you were baptized wrong that you're going to hell. The blood of Jesus that he shed at Calvary, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that you have believed in your heart, the word concerning Jesus, the blood covers your sins. But then the scripture says that baptism is the remission of your sins. In other words, it just sends them away. It puts a barrier between you and all of the effects of the life of sin and that the sins had in your life. The blood and the waters of baptism are two realities of the old sacrifice system, which the old sacrifice system was just a type. The old sacrifice system, there was a sin offering, and the sin offering, the atonement offering, had two animals. The first animal was the lamb. They would bring an innocent lamb. They would say, I'm a sinner, and I'm guilty. This animal is not guilty of sin. And so the priest would confer the sins of the man upon the head of the lamb and then kill the lamb. And God judged the lamb for the sins of the man. The innocence of the lamb would be applied to the man, so the man walks out with the lamb dying his death so he could live the lamb's life. But there was a second animal used in the sacrifice system. After the blood of the lamb had been shed <clears throat> for the forgiveness of the guilty, the priest would take his left hand and he would dip it in all of the blood that was sacrificed that day and he would lead a goat out to the edge of the camp where the wilderness was. It's called a scapegoat. And he would lay his bloody left hand with all that blood of the sacrifice on the head of that goat. And then he would slap that goat on the rear end and it would go running into the wilderness never to be seen again. In other words, the lamb covered the sins. But the scapegoat took them away and removed them from the people. This is why when John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus' ministry, 
when he saw Jesus Christ at Jesus' own baptism, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, that's the blood, which takes away the sins of the world. That's the scapegoat. So we come into contact with the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, but we need to be water baptized in order for those sins that are covered to be taken away for the remission of our sins. And you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus in order for this to happen. Look at, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This was the first message preached in the New Testament. Remember, the New Testament is Acts, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the first message. Now, there's first things are very important to God. This is the first message. After the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles, the 120 in the upper room, Peter came out, and there were all kind of people there, and they were wondering, what's going on with you guys? What, what's all this ruckus? What's all this? What's happening? And, and they asked him, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and all who are far off and as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, there wasn't any confusion. Peter was there. Peter was there through all of Jesus' ministry. But there wasn't any confusion on how people should be instructed to be baptized. I don't know how many denominations have missed this. I personally don't understand it. I think it's a darkness that's brought upon people's minds and understandings by the enemy. Because the enemy would love for millions of people to be baptized, but leave the most powerful part of it out. But the Apostle Peter, in his instruction, his first instruction to the New Testament church, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to say, uh, go to Acts 19, verse 1. I want to say very kindly, very lovingly, but I'll be judged for it, so I have to say it. I say this every year. I do this teaching at least once a year. If you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you need to be rebaptized. Okay. You need to be rebaptized. The scripture teaches it. Now, is there scriptural precedent for someone who's been baptized one way being rebaptized the correct way? Yes. Acts 19. Look at this. All of you who are disagreeing with me or you think it's not important, would you please consider this on the screens? It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Everybody say disciples. These weren't lost folks. These weren't just new young believers. These were disciples, people who were disciplined in their faith. He found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So in other words, of course they're already saved. But he's saying, did the subsequent experience, the filling of the Holy Spirit, take place in your life when you believed? And they said, uh, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So... Hearing them say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. That made Paul want to run a diagnostic on their faith experience. 
He wanted to analyze where they were. So look at the question. Of all the questions he could ask, he didn't say, who's your pastor? He didn't say, where did you learn? What Bible school did you go to? He didn't say, any. what denomination are you a part of? You know, did your mother cook the chicken for the Baptist church? He didn't say any of that. Look at the question he asked. He says, verse 3, into what then were you baptized? Now notice that. Baptism is not just some vain tradition. Baptism is supposed to put you in something. You understand what I'm saying? If it's done right, baptism is supposed to put you in the body of Christ, in the body of the one whose body paid the price for all your sins. So Paul said, if you don't have everything that there is available to have in this thing, let me ask you, what were you put into? Into what were you baptized? Let me rip those words off that screen and ask you, into what? Were you baptized? Not everybody has the same answers while I'm teaching. Have you thought about it? Have you considered it? There could be spiritual power that's available to you that you're not living in, walking in, and acting in. Because some foolish preacher or some leaders of some foolish denomination didn't read their Bible concerning how you're supposed to baptize people. And I love you enough and care enough about you that I want to correct the problem and make sure that we are baptized like the Bible says. You know God will bless you if you just do what he says. You know it's not that hard. It's just doing what the Bible says. Amazing things happen when you just start doing what the Bible says. He says, under what then were you baptized? They said, we were baptized into John's baptism. He said, well, there's been a dispensational change. Verse 4, he said, well, John, he, he baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people, they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. Check this out. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, some really intelligent person who's done just enough reading to be dangerous We'll say, what about Matthew 28, 19? Put it up there, please. Matthew 28, 19. This is Jesus, not the apostles. This is Jesus talking. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about it. He says, go there. He's talking to the apostles. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when I read that, and I hear denominations saying that people should, ba I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering, can people read? What, what level of teaching did you sit under that you can't read that and understand what he's saying? He didn't say baptize them in the names, plural. 
He said, there's one name that encompasses the work of the Father, of the Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptize them in the name singular that encompasses all of the work. Let me prove that to you. Let's not just read one verse. Go back one verse. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority. I mean, it's really easy if you just read. Anybody watching me hate me on Facebook for preaching this message. I get more feedback for this message than any other one. Don't hate me. Will you just open this thing and just read? Look at the context. Look at the context. This is 18. We'll go back to 19 in a minute. But look at 18. What's he talking about? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he, he, was, he was talking to them because there were people saying they, they always wrestled with Jesus' logic and doctrine when he would talk about the different manifestations of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. How the one God has manifested himself three ways. God in creation, Son in redemption, Holy Spirit in regeneration. And when Jesus would use that language, it would always confuse the disciples. So Jesus was saying, you don't have to pray to three different gods. You don't have to address your faith or your request. There's not three thrones in heaven. He said, all authority in heaven. I'm not in a jousting match with the Father or the Spirit. There's not a, a power uh, disruption or, or a power play going on in heaven. All of the authority of heaven has been given unto me. And then he ties that in, in verse 19 that there's a name. There's a name. So that if I use the name of Jesus, I haven't robbed God the Father. If I use the name of Jesus, I haven't disrespected God the Holy Ghost. If I use the name of Jesus, I've encapsulated all of the fullness of the nature and essence of God. And I've brought it all the way down to his name. Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9. Thank you, Bishop. Colossians 2.9. Look at this. It's talking about Jesus. The Godhead, listen to me, those of you that don't know theology or anything, the Godhead is just a word they use to sum up the triune, three-part nature of the one God. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. That's the Godhead. But look at what it says. For in Him being Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily why would you let some two-bit priest or some backslidden preacher or somebody that you know honey everything with a steeple on it and a sound system isn't a church And everybody with a mic in their hand isn't a called anointed preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
And then there's a lot of people, they're good people, they're anointed people, they're, they're sweet, kind people. They just don't have the revelation. But the power of baptism is in the name of Jesus. It's in your faith when you're standing in the water. Understand, I know this water doesn't save me. I know this water is an outward expression of faith that I do because I understand that my spirit and all of the body of my sins and all of the guilt and shame that connect me to them has been put down, baptized, submerged into the body of Jesus Christ. And God will never judge me for my sins because I have been put into the one who has already been judged. When you stand in that watery grave and you got faith in that, and then you got a preacher who's standing over you, baptizing you, and he's got faith in that, and the name of Jesus is spoken, and there's, there's faith in the speaking of the name, and there's faith in the receiving of the name, then there's a collision, a colliding of the face. Just like happened in Acts chapter 3 with that lame man. A power comes over you and a line of distinction is drawn between you and every negative thing of the past and its effects. I have a flaw and I know so many of y'all heard me preach this so much you're bored. I have a flaw and it's like beating a dead horse after it's just already dead, just killing a point. Go to Romans chapter 6. If I'm on your toes with this, you may want to leave now. I'm really, really about to get on them. And if this offends you, like you should ask, why? Why? Is it impossible that you learned something wrong? Is it impossible that the ones that you trusted to teach you before didn't know what they were talking about in this one area? Doesn't mean they're going to hell. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. But it's important because there's so much in this about it. Well, look at Romans 6, verse 4. Ah, verse 3. Yeah, verse 3. Or do you not know? Now listen, he was frustrated with them too. This is how he started. This is the Apostle Paul. Said, Don't you know this? <laughs> or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? If I hadn't already just bludgeon the point the whole sense of baptism is that you're a guilty sinner that on judgment day or when you die you're going to have a long list of things to answer for to a pure and holy God okay unless and I don't care how long you've been in church how pure and holy you think you are No man will stand up before him on that day. So, so you're going to have a lot looking at you. 
long rap sheet unless all of those sins have already been paid for and God can't just wink at this and say oh you know you prayed a prayer and you half minute and you lifted your hands twice on Easter and Katie shared this with me. She shared this with me. It's so beautiful. A lot of people say, how can God be just and forgive sinners, guilty sinners like you and I? And she shared this with me. Something she's reading. So powerful. And she, imagine two boys growing up together, the best of friends. One of them goes off to be a very successful judge. One of them goes off to be a very successful criminal. I look at it and be like that. There are successful criminals. And one day, the criminal gets caught and has to face the judge, and it's his friend. So the judge orders him to pay a massive fine. Justice. The judge cannot break bonds the binding legalities of justice and still be a good judge so he orders the man even though he loves him even though he's his friend he orders him to pay a massive fine but then he takes his judge's robe off meets the man at the back of the courtroom and pays the fine out of his own pocket That's what Jesus did for you and me. He did not compromise his holiness or his justice. Right is still right and wrong is still wrong. And he ordered us to pay a hefty price for our sin. But then he met us at the back of the courtroom at the cross and said, I'll pay it in full for you. And baptism in water in the name of Jesus is how you connect physically and soulishly with what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's you being, having your guilty self plunge down into the death he died on the cross. And then there, there's other things in baptism. We, we take you down into his death. But then if you got a good pastor, he won't leave you under the water. He'll bring you back. I got to tell you, there's been a couple I wondered about. Just When I go down, fully submerged. Why fully submerged? Why not just sprinkled? Because in order to save you, God had to take you and fully submerge you down into Christ. So we put you down into his death, bring you back up, 
into his life. And Paul said, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself a ransom for me. So baptism is all about Jesus. And yet there's so many people that do it and never even use his name. If that atrocity happened to you, I want to fix it. Next Sunday, we're having baptisms after service. I'd be honored to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Stand to your feet. Jesus, we lift our hands to you and we worship you right now. We thank you for paying the price on Calvary's cross for us and for making a way by allowing us to be baptized into your body for us. Though we are guilty and marred with wrong and flaws, we can be saved. Everyone say this with me. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. I ask you to cover me with your blood. Save my soul. Let me walk in step with your plan, your purpose, and your will for my life. And fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your truth. In Jesus' name. No sweeter name than the name of Jesus.